Uh, I mean, now it's starting to ease up a little bit, but in the last two months, we've seen almost no other commodities imported by air freight. So there's also challenges with capacity, you know, at the at the ground terminals, at airports. Uh, again, it's starting to ease up a little bit now, but the last two months, you have very limited resources everywhere. Uh, airline terminals basically staggering their shifts, uh, uh, working at, uh, you know, w- with half the staff. Uh, everybody except warehouse workers working from home, obviously affecting uh, productivity. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the AMZ Advisors e-commerce sellers podcast. I'm your host, Mike Begg, and I'm happy to have you back again for another great interview with an e-commerce expert. As always, I just want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast and also check out our website, for any help that you need with e-commerce. You can also subscribe to our newsletter there to get the latest tips, tricks, and best practices for selling online. All right, so let's get into it. Hey everybody, it's Mike from AMG Advisors, and today I'm excited to be interviewing Robert from Freightwright. Robert's gonna be talking to us about how the coronavirus has impacted supply chains across the world. And his company, Freightwright, specializes in freight forwarding for Amazon and e-commerce companies. And they do about, they do over 50% of their business specifically in Amazon and e-commerce. So Robert, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I'm uh, Robert Kachatrian. I'm uh, the founder and COO of uh, Freightwright. Um, and like you said, we specialize in e-commerce and Amazon logistics. Uh, that's uh, around 65% of our business actually uh, either ends up at Amazon or uh, in e-commerce fulfillment of some sort. Um, started the company 13 years ago out of my apartment with uh, a credit card. So um, frugality and being lean is kind of uh, part of our DNA. Um, so we're very careful with money, both ours and our customers. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's how we're able to provide uh, great customer service, but at reasonable prices. Um, so that, that's a little about me and the company. Awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, and I mean, just to kind of get your perspective on what you're seeing and what's kind of happening, how have you seen coronavirus affecting supply chain and international freight? Uh, you know the the Chinese New Year uh, this year was uh, was uh, early in January, and uh, everybody was kind of getting ready for a slow month and a slow beginning uh, of the year anyway. But then that coincided with the coronavirus, and uh, the Chinese New Year holiday was pretty much extended, and then turned into a full shutdown for basically two months, right? Uh, and uh, everybody expected a slump. Uh, and, and all the carriers uh, that or they already for Chinese New Year they basically take out a bunch of vessels out of rotation, uh, and with the coronavirus and the expectation of slump, they they kind of went overboard with it and basically took out too many vessels out of rotation, expecting the slump. What I think uh, nobody expected was how fast it would get back, and uh, how fast production would ramp up. So what ended up happening is too many bookings. And not enough vessels. Um, you know, now about a, it's, it's been happening about a month now. One of the main carriers on the Trans Pacific Lane, PIL, also completely permanently pulled out. Uh, they stopped servicing basically China to North America Lane. 
So that that sort of uh, put a, a lot more pressure on the capacity, you know, because it was a major carrier. And of course, with all the PPE shipments, basically with all the flights canceled, a lot of that started flowing into ocean freight, putting even more pressure on capacity because that's obviously uh, prioritized over everything else. Uh, those are all pretty much at some level government contracts and, and, and very high paying customers. So carriers basically prioritize that. Certainly happening in uh, at least Shanghai and Ningbo uh, more than anywhere else. So, so that's why you're seeing uh, a huge overbooking problem right now with uh, ocean carriers. Okay, so the, so the issues have impacted not only ocean freight, but it's also had a significant impact on air freight. Yeah, so uh, air freight, uh, you know, primarily hit uh, because of uh, all the passenger flight cancellations. Um, you know, most of the commercial cargo actually ships on passenger flights, you know, in the belly of those uh, flights. Um, so a smaller proportion actually ships on all cargo aircraft. Uh, with, uh, you know, the shutdowns and all the flights canceled, most of the cargo couldn't fly. So uh, that that that's essentially what caused the whole problem. Uh, and then, you know, added to that, all the mask and gown and uh, personal protective equipment shipments, uh, sanitizers and such, those were all sent by air freight, you know, because of the urgency. So that kind of bumped everything else uh, off the flights. And uh, for several months now, pretty much everything that ships by air freight is just PPE because there's no, there's just no competing with that product. Uh, I mean, you see price of uh, N95 masks went from basically being a dollar a year ago to five, six, seven dollars now. We've seen flight prices, you know, the charter aircraft go from $200,000 to $2 million. So... That's basically what everybody's ready to pay to get their masks uh, delivered, right? And if you're shipping anything else, how do you compete with that? How do you how do you get the space? So uh, basically, air freight was pretty much not even an option for almost anything else. And all the freight that would have gone by air freight, that too basically started flowing into ocean freight. And now we're seeing even masks and other PPE products basically flock to the ports. Wow. Uh, just because there's, there's just not enough flights. So is, that, is all this causing additional challenges and issues in the U.S., either with shipping product here or receiving it? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, air freight is uh, definitely very challenging. Uh, we see very, uh, I mean, now it's starting to ease up a little bit, but in the last two months we've seen almost no other commodities imported by air freight. So there's also challenges with capacity, you know, at the, at the ground terminals, at airports. Uh, again, it's starting to ease up a little bit now, but the last two months you have very limited resources everywhere. Uh, airline terminals basically staggering their shifts, uh, uh, working at, uh, you know, w- with half the staff, uh, everybody except warehouse workers working from home, obviously affecting uh, productivity. We've seen a little bit of uh, delays with customs. Uh, not so much the processing because the vast majority of shipments are cleared electronically and automatically, but every time you have a shipment that does require a, a manual review by a customs officer, those uh, tend to take a little longer. And that's uh, 
basically what's causing the issues. With ports, uh, you have a different problem because of the uh, large number of empty containers and empty chassis sitting at the ports because of the slump uh, and, and basically no imports in January and February. A lot of the empty containers didn't ship back and weren't picked up by U.S. companies to be loaded for export. So you have now uh, a huge accumulation of empty equipment, which is affecting you know, the space at the ports. So you pick up a full container, you can't return the empty because they just don't want to take it uh, or chassis. They don't have space to store chassis. So that's 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 another sort of uh, indirect problem of the shutdown in China. Okay. And you mentioned how a little bit about how the costs of air freight have increased dramatically, but has all of this affected the cost of all shipping and freight forwarding across the board? You know, it's uh, it's an interesting question. The the rates overall have definitely gone up. Uh, but what and uh, what uh, uh, an indirect result of this crisis is that um, a lot of companies, uh, a lot of logistics companies are in an existential struggle right now. So you see giants like Kuhn and Nagel, I mean, it's probably the largest forwarder in the world, uh, is laying off 20,000 people. You have TQL laying off uh, 1,000 people or so. Um, and a lot of freight forwarders uh, that operate on the specifically the trans-Pacific uh, trade lane, you know, Chinese forwarders, American forwarders that specialize in China, uh, they've seen a huge hit. So uh, they're struggling to survive and basically dropping their rates. So you'll see a lot of freight forwarders minimize their profits uh, just to keep the volume coming, which should basically mitigate the rate increases a little bit. Uh, but definitely there is an increase overall. I mean, air freight, uh, again, we're, we're, we're talking uh, until about a, a week ago, the rates uh, were maybe five, six times as high as they were, say, in November, which is actually like peak season for air freight. Uh, if you can compare it to even earlier, I mean, uh, they're, they're maybe eight times higher. And uh, it's not even about the price anymore. We tell our customers... Uh, if you want to ship by air freight, you basically have to have an open budget. You only ship by air freight things that are are a necessity. Yeah. You, know, you absolutely have to have them, and price is not an object. Um, ocean freight too uh, has increased. I mean, we're looking at uh, starting uh, first week of June, probably rates of over two thousand dollars a container from uh, China base ports to U.S. West Coast. Uh, that's a level we haven't seen in a long time. Um, it's, it's been a couple of years, um, but that's basically a result of the capacity crunch. And you know, ocean carriers are like uh, they're like OPEC. You know, they uh, when 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 the rates are uh, dropping, they cut capacity to basically uh, increase the rates, and they, they've been trying to do that for a few years. And now um, it, it looks like uh, they may have overdone it uh, because we're seeing some freight forwarders roll as many as 60% of their bookings because it's just, you know, vessels are overbooked by 60%. Okay. And how is, or how are all these issues and challenges affecting the, uh, the brands and retailers that are actually importing these products from China or from Asia? Uh, it's very interesting because it's it's sort of uh, category specific. 
um, you know, we talked uh, a lot about it, this and so a lot on the news uh, about Amazon and, um, you know, Target and Walmart basically prioritizing certain categories. You know, Amazon uh, basically stopped receiving everything non-essential for a while. Um, so, you know, if you happened to be selling soap and sanitizer wipes, uh, obviously, you know, huge explosion of business. Um, you know, garments um, are, are, are on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you know, struggling because people didn't go out, people didn't shop. Uh, I mean, we have the back to school uh, season coming up and uh, nobody's sure if they're going to go back to school. So, you know, if you're uh, selling backpacks, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very tough right now. If you're selling kids clothing, it's very tough right now. But if you look at the numbers that I'm, uh, that uh, Amazon, Walmart, and Target are reporting for their quarterly financials, I mean, they're all doing really, really well. Uh, so it really depends on which stores you're in uh, as a merchant. Uh, there's a, you know, the, one of the reasons that Target and Walmart did so well is because they stayed open, because they happened to sell essential products. They stayed open, and while people were there, they bought everything else that was not essential because they had no, they had no other choice. They couldn't go to other stores to buy non-essentials because those stores were closed. So it's a little bit of a artificial um, sort of reason uh, and just... Um, an indirect benefit to to the stores. So if you if you were in those stores, you probably did really well. Um, if you're selling uh, some some uh, interesting categories, uh, uh, you know, like backyard toys uh, or, uh, or 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 school supplies that kids needed at home, uh, you probably did really well. Uh, if you think about um, the back-to-school categories and then just school supply categories. And this is one of the reasons Amazon keeps changing their, um, you know, their, their, their policies about receiving these categories is because it's very hard to tell and even data uh, analysis doesn't necessarily show you the right results. Uh, if you think about it, both backpacks and, let's say, pens and pencils are in the same category. Uh, right there, there, there's school supplies, but uh, because schools are closed, backpacks aren't selling. But because people are now largely homeschooling their kids, they're still buying a lot of things that um, they would uh, buy if the kids were going to school. In fact, they're buying things that they wouldn't buy if the kids were going to school. Like, think of all the whiteboards and blackboards that have been purchased in the last two months. Um, you know, those, uh, who would have expected that, right? And they fall in the same category. So how, if you're Amazon, how do you allow uh, sellers to uh, basically stock those items at FBA and not stock products that are not going to sell just because they're in the same category? Um, that's why you're seeing them lift restrictions but limit the, the quantities they would allow. Okay. Uh, de definitely very... Very interesting uh, change happening. Yeah, and it sounds like it must be a challenge for a lot of the retailers and brands to keep up with all this. So, have you seen uh, your clients that are on the retail side um, adjust in certain ways to all the changes going on? Yeah, so um, there, there's definitely interesting trends happening. Um, you know, we we've we actually have customers who have 
manufacturing facilities on the East Coast. Uh, but because the East Coast was shut down uh, a little more uh, so than the West Coast, um, and because of the backlog in, in production and orders, they, they basically started shipping to the West Coast from China. Um, or, you know, companies that ship to East Coast started shipping to the West Coast just, you know, to get, a, to get ahead by a couple of weeks. So there is definitely uh, a shift there uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, there's a shift uh, from companies that have actually manufacturing in the United States to start sourcing products overseas just because of the shutdowns. Uh, you know, uh, uh, another huge factor is the fact that people aren't getting back to work. Uh, a lot of factories are having trouble getting their employees back to work. Uh, I regularly speak to companies that keep postponing their back to work uh, deadlines just just because of the uncertainty and today uh, you know you you have a couple of counties in california that were opened up and are shutting back down so uh, i think it's still a very much a fluid situation and uh, uh, changing almost every week okay. uh, so, so, so a lot of changes and very hard to plan for them Okay, so how is your company, FreightRight, and yourself and your team helping your clients adjust to these changes? I mean, um, you know, it's definitely a lot more uh, uh, involved. So uh, the same shipment uh, requires a lot more com uh, uh, communication, a lot uh, more uh, planning. Um, so we spend a lot more time on every shipment now that we then than we used to um, because of constantly changing uh, basically paradigms uh, so we've definitely changed uh, changed how we communicate how often we communicate uh, dialed back a little bit on uh, on automatic notifications to customers and more towards custom basically uh, solutions uh, of constant communication uh, doing a lot more meetings with uh, with with, with the stakeholders, uh, just just to keep uh, them them informed of uh, of their supply chains, so it's become a lot more manual. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we've done um, we've done some things to help our customers in the last few months. Uh, you know, to cope with the Amazon restrictions. Uh, you know, like I said, a lot of our business is Amazon uh, freight. And um, a lot of our customers were unable to deliver to Amazon. A lot of our customers were unable to generate labels and, uh, you know, FBA uh, replenishment orders because of the restrictions. So instead of letting their products sit in China, uh, what we started doing is shipping everything to U.S. and just holding it in U.S. warehouses. Um, this way, when Amazon lifted the restrictions, uh, they were a few weeks ahead of their competitors because they had product here ready to be labeled and delivered to Amazon within a day's notice versus, you know, shipping it all the way from China. Uh, and uh, we still have a lot of freight uh, from our customers in our warehouses. They're still shipping to our warehouses, even, uh, even though Amazon lifted a lot of the restrictions. Uh, just because they want to avoid the uncertainty, they want to avoid uh, more shutdowns uh, in China or uh, you know, 
any other disruptions to the supply chain. But also because Amazon largely restricts the quantities that you know you can send to FBA. So a lot of our customers that would otherwise ship containers to Amazon ship those containers to our warehouses, and then we basically drip feed them a few pallets at a time into um, into the FBA network. Uh, we've also ramped up our uh, consolidations for Amazon. Uh, Freightright uh, has a uh, several consolidations a week, basically uh, for smaller shipments going direct to Amazon. Uh, so these uh, these bypass uh, U.S. Uh, container freight stations, U.S. warehouses. The whole work is done in China. Uh, product is labeled and loaded in the containers in China, and that's basically delivered straight to Amazon facilities here. Uh, that's helped a lot with uh, some of the customers who are scaling back on volumes. Um, you know, it's it's a very uh, economical way of shipping to Amazon. If you you know if you don't have a full container, um, so a combination of those basically uh, has done uh, quite a bit of mitigate, mitigating of the of the challenges uh, for our customers. Okay, awesome. And I, I just have one final question that came to my mind uh, after hearing you speak a little bit more. You mentioned that uh, some of the restrictions and the issues are starting to ease a little bit. What do you think that e-commerce and Amazon sellers can expect in the coming months? Do you think things are going to return to normal or are we still going to see some continuing uh, lingering issues in the supply chain and logistics? Um, I don't think we're going back to normal uh, anytime soon, if ever. I think a lot of the things are uh, basically uh, going to change permanently. Um, you know, definitely in some product categories, uh, you'll have permanent changes. As far as Amazon goes and the restrictions, uh, it, it's been a very interesting progression from, um, you know, in the beginning, them saying, hey, we're going to only receive essential products. And then uh, basically saying, okay, we're going to receive essential products, but we're adding categories that we now consider essential. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, everybody would think uh, sanitizers, uh, you know, wipes and uh, soap uh, and paper towel would be essential. But then, you know, three weeks into the shutdown, if you have kids, you're going nuts and all of a sudden an inflatable pool is now becoming essential, right? So uh, those uh, that's been changing consistently. You know, uh, in the beginning, it, it was backyards, uh, toys, then everybody realized, hey, we need board games and puzzles, and those are essential. So now everybody's trying to get puzzles, uh, you know, to occupy their kids' time. Uh, then, you know, uh, all the people staying home, they started cleaning their houses and remodeling their houses and fixing their garages, and now they're buying shelves and stuff like that. Like, you see a lot of uh, people everywhere you go on bicycles. These people didn't have bicycles three months ago. So... All of a sudden, you know, they're out and about, they're exercising, they're running. Uh, so exercise equipment is probably uh, doing really well. And, and these things uh, are going to have a lasting effect. If, uh, if a significant portion of the U.S. population started exercising, you know, that's, that's a miracle, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's going to continue. It's a lifestyle change. So that's going to affect, to have an effect on uh, the category 
you know, for the future. So, so this, there, there's a lot of these things happening. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are not obvious at all. Some of them are very counterintuitive. Uh, but these changes are here to stay. And uh, the way Amazon and all the large retailers look at product categories is going to change permanently. Um, and, you know, social distancing is probably uh, now interwoven into our culture, you know, forever to a certain extent. Yes, we'll go back to, um, you know, maybe four feet instead of six feet of distance between people, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to change how we behave and what we buy and how we consume things. So that's, I think, is a, you know, is a very important thing to think about when you're planning for the future, if, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you're trading goods. All right, thank you for that. And uh, do you have any last words of advice that any sellers or e-commerce brands can take advantage of now to help minimize issues? Um, uh, it looks like rates are going up uh, and they're going to, to be on an upward trajectory. So um, there, there's, there's warehousing space right now in the US, plenty of it uh, after you know two years of battery of uh, the trade war. Um, so take advantage of the warehouse space and take advantage of the lower rates. Um, don't, you know, ship, uh, as soon as possible. I don't think, um, you know, the rates are going to go in, to get any better and the warehouse space is probably going to, uh, start filling up. Uh, so make your arrangements with warehouses now and, uh, and start shipping as soon as possible. It's probably what I would, uh, advise. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Robert. Uh, just a last thing. If uh, any of our audience wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you and Freightright? Yeah, so um, Freightright.com is the website. Uh, there, uh, there are links there to get a, get a hold of experts, uh, you know, f from, uh, from our Amazon team, from our uh, import or export teams or Project Cargo, whatever they have. There's, there's an expert for that. They can get a hold of us through the website. Email us at uh, info at freightright.com um, or call us at 877-909-7447. Awesome. All right. Thank you again so much, Robert. I really appreciate your insight into this, and I think our audience will as well. Um, okay. It was great speaking with you, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Thank you, Robert. All right. Thank you for listening to the AMZ Advisors e-commerce sellers podcast. On behalf of Rob, Steve, and all of us here at AMZ Advisors, we hope you enjoyed the show. If our podcasts help you, please make sure to subscribe to learn the latest tips, tricks, and best practices for selling online. Or check out our website, amzadvisors.com, to see how we can help you scale your online sales with our content, advertising, or e-commerce educational services.